0: Hey, Abraham Dallas, this is Kevin, and I am so excited that you're tuning into this week's podcast. In this message, I share on biblical hospitality and what I believe to be the expression of the love of the Father and the radical welcome that we've received from God in the person of Christ in the form of hospitality. I believe that it is deeply evangelistic, prophetic, it's an act of justice, and ultimately, hospitality is a container, and incubator that protects Nurtures and multiplies love. And so I hope that as you listen, you're provoked to begin asking God who it is that you're to invite to your table and how it is that you're to cooperate with God to step further into holy hospitality. So I bless you. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Let's go. Oh, we're going to go. We're going to go. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sit, though, because I'm clumsy, and this is really expensive stuff, and it's dangerous for me. I will trip and break something. I was joking about um, <laughs> the flowers. I was like, can I just hold them, like, the entire time I'm preaching with that, just to be, like, awkward just to hold them. They're so beautiful. Hello. How are you? Good. Um, We have a blessed hope in moments like this when um, darkness seems to be prevailing and wickedness is so visceral in what happened in Uvalde. And um, I am quite honestly just disgusted and heartbroken. and, um, And I, it just, I don't, what do you say, right? But I, <clears throat> there's a blessed hope in, in terms of the Jesus himself. In John 1, I said it this morning, I'll say it again, that he <clears throat> is the light. That in him was life, and that life was the light of men. And he lightens every man and the darkness. Has, he's shined in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And in this moment, though darkness is present, Jesus is shining. That there is a light on the horizon, the sun is rising. And we prayed this morning, and I knew that there were so many people who had never been or had not been in a long time in houses of faith, in churches, that morning searching for hope and searching for peace and compassion. And uh, I know that Jesus was present in his bride and by his spirit uh, moving. And so we have confidence in the shakings and the darkness that nothing um, can conquer love and that he shines brighter um, and so, thank you for Aaron for leading us in that. It's um, a way that we get to bear one another's burdens. Hey, so <clears throat> uh, if you were not here um, Sunday morning last week, because I heard Sunday night went off and you guys just like basked in the presence of Jesus, which is am- amazing. Um, if you were not here Sunday morning, you missed out on hearing Peter Lewis release a word that was really a prophetic kind of declaration, um, in regards to what the spirit of God seems to be doing in our hour. Hold on one second. Awkward pause. Water. Water. (laughs) There we go. Um, just acknowledge the awkwardness. It diffuses everything. Um, and, uh, he released this prophetic word, some dreams, and what God seems to be doing by the Spirit in a number of different streams and movements. And I can't tell you how right on it was. Um, the language was it's a revival of communion or communion revival. And uh, in every way, the Spirit of God seems to be emphasizing, communing together together around the blood and body of Jesus. That there's something about communion, this idea of communion that he is emphasizing. And I, I want to, in, in a way, Peter released the what of what God's doing in this hour. And I want to come behind that and kind of go, okay, how do we get to participate? And in many ways, this is going to kind of be a part two of what I shared a couple of weeks ago. If you weren't here, I'll recap for you. I shared uh, that... um, Out of John 1, that if you uh, have put the full weight of the responsibility for your life and godliness onto Christ, the full trust of your life in him, then you have the right to be a child of God, to know God as your father, to be delighted in by God, to be disciplined by God for our maturation and growth, to receive dignity from him in our identity as sons and daughters, that we belong to him. and that washes away every other narrative about who we were, what we did, where we've been. We are new creatures. We are something new that the world's not seen before and that gives us dignity that we have a right to receive from God. And I kind of ended with this like, and we have the right to reflect him in the world and this is how we do it. And I wish I wouldn't have shared that portion yet because I moved really quick. It was a little sloppy. And so we're gonna go back to that because you do have a right to reflect Him in the world. You have a right to reflect God as the family of God. And I truly feel that what we're going to discuss tonight is the how to what Peter released uh, last week on Sunday morning. Um, What we're going to talk about um, is hospitality. Now, when Jesus said, Do this in remembrance of me. When he broke and blessed the bread. When he poured the cup and he said, this is the covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. I propose to you that the this that he's referring to is not merely a moment of breaking a piece of bread and drinking wine it is not a little styrofoam wafer and a little cup of juice that we do here and there no i think when jesus said do this he meant all of this the entire portion of what was happening that his people disciples were gathered around the table in communion with jesus and in communion with themselves with the, with with one another sharing the blood and body of Jesus sharing a meal together, entering into hospitality, when he said do this, he meant all of this. And so if there's a communion revival coming, then there's far more than just an ordination, a, what, what is it called, a sacrament that we celebrate once a week in service. There's far more that's available to us when we talk about communion, and it is life. Together around the table, I want to tell you something. There is glory. <laughs> there is glory at the table. When, you know, I, I feel when I was wrestling a little bit with releasing this word. I was kind of like, oh, hospitality. Has I've never heard a sermon on hospitality. Anyone else? I've never heard anyone preach on hospitality. It's just bizarre. And yet, the Old Testament narrative is full of stories of it. And the New Testament is very clear in its command of it. And yet, no one's really talking about it, right? And so it kind of felt like a peripheral thing. And I'm like, man, I don't, you know, we're a house of prayer. We're presence people. We love the glory of God, the power of God, the presence of Jesus, lifestyles of prayer. This is who we are and so I was kind of wrestling with the Lord like uh, the hospitality feels like a caveat, you know something else. And I was debating and the father, as he so often does, rebuked me <laughs> and he just said to me, because I was like, hospitality is not really like in our culture, you know like it's not something that we're like it's not central to who we are. And <laughs> gosh. And the father just said, nope. (laughs) Nope, no, you're wrong. And I've learned when the father says that to go, yes, I am. How am I wrong? And please tell me what is right. And he went on to share with me and my heart. Hospitality is at the core of who you are. Not just as believers, but as the upper room. Hospitality is at the very center of what you do and who you are. Why? Because morning, noon, and night, what do we do? We seek to... Lay forth a table for Jesus with our gratitude, our praise, our adoration, our affection that we seek in hospitality to him to create an atmosphere that welcomes him, that welcomes his presence among us, that hospitality is at the very core of our approach to prayer, that we want to create resting places for God that are so hospitable for his presence that he not only descends upon us, but remains among us. And the, how many times have we heard Michael say we seek to create a table for Jesus that we banquet table of our adoration, love, affection and thanksgiving so that he becomes the guest of honor. But when he comes miraculously before our eyes what happens is that the guest of honor suddenly becomes the host. And we realize in his presence That the table we've prepared is transformed to a table that only he can create. And we begin to dine in what only he can provide. And the guest of honor becomes the host. And we receive the hospitality of heaven. I would propose to you that, well, I wouldn't propose this. This is a fact. Jesus is still ministering. He is in heaven. His his work, though completed on the cross, has not finished. He still has a ministry. And we know that ministry in part to be intercession, that he lives to make intercession for us, that he is seated at the right hand of the Father praying for you. If you're weak and weary, if you're tired, if you're struggling, if the flame of affection in your heart is all but a little Sad flicker of a flame. The Son of Man is at the right hand of the Father praying that your faith would not fail. He has the ministry of intercession, He is for you. But I would propose to you something else that His ministry doesn't just begin and end with intercession. He also told the, the disciples that He had to leave physically. Why? Because his father's house had many rooms. If it was not so, I would tell you. But I must go and prepare a place for you. And so I would propose to you that in addition to intercession, Jesus' continued ministry is a ministry of hospitality where he is creating a space for you and I to abide forever. That when we gather around a table, when we invite the least of these in one another to share life around a meal at a table, that we are participating in something eternal and we are completing the continued ministry of Jesus. We are tasting of a Reality, in part, that one day will become the fullness of the kingdom of God on the earth. Hospitality is not something peripheral. It's at the very core of the Maranatha cry. When I... (sighs) I'm shaking either because God is in me or I had too much coffee, or both. (laughs) When When this whole Maranatha cry happened... Uh, I have to be honest with you. I was like, I don't get it. I mean, I get, I want Jesus to return. But I, this Maranatha thing, it felt to me, just being honest, it felt like, man, I don't want to just cry out Maranatha because that's what we're doing. Like, I want my heart t- to touch this reality. Like, why? It, I don't want to just do something out of intellectual assent or, or um, just like going with the flow of the crowd. <laughs> you know, like I want it to be Genuine. And so I'm like, make it genuine, Lord. Like, make that cry genuine in me. And it was one, um, one Sunday. I, You know, this might make sense to some of you, all of you, I don't know. But you know when God reveals something to you? It's like he pops open your brain and just plops a reality into your mind, heart, and spirit all at once. And it's like for a moment... You see, in visceral, weighty glory, something that you know to be true, but in a way that if you stayed there for any more than like a nanosecond, you would explode. Do you know what I mean? Like the love of God. We know that God loves us, but those moments when His love is made manifest to every part of who we are, and it's like ah, oh, it just it, you know. <clears throat> well, I had one of these moments in this room, and we're in worship. And all of a sudden, I saw this image play out. Just a few seconds. And it was a table on a balcony in what looked like the beauty of like Italy or something. And around this table were faces of many different colors, ages. There were children. And they're passing food and drink. And I can't describe the beauty of this moment. But even more beautiful than what I saw was what I felt which was this immense connection, love, unity, this just weighty togetherness. And in a moment, I realized that was a glimpse of the age to come, that the age that's coming looks far more like this age than we realize, that in the age to come, we will dine together, passing bread and drinking wine, enjoying the presence not just of Jesus on the planet, but the presence of one another without division, without Conflict without comparison, in perfect unity, enjoying the beauty of creation and the fullness that he designed. And I saw in this moment the beauty of what is coming for those that are in Christ. And I was like, Maranatha! Like, come, Lord! Come! Establish the perfect unity of your body when harmony rules the planet and perfect justice is the daily experience of all. Ha ah. hospitality is not some subscription to Martha Stewart living. <laughs> no shame or shade if you like Martha Stewart. I mean, she can make a killer bunt cake, you know. It's not something, it is at the very heart of who God is to welcome all. Into his family. It is a birthplace for the advancement of the kingdom of God and the declaration of the age to come. Hospitality is at the very core of Maranatha. Come. Um, if COVID, you know, COVID was really, gosh, COVID revealed a lot. It it revealed a lot in each one of our hearts in terms of. Um, areas of fear, lack of trust, areas of isolation and loneliness. And for me, um, and I pray you hear what I'm saying, but one of the, the blessings of corrected perspective that I received from COVID was the fact that the church is unshakable. But how we approach the church is That this moment can be taken from us. And I dare say one day it will. That right now we live in a degree of freedom to gather, to express our faith openly and publicly. We receive benefits governmentally on taxes that help us resource and fund things. We live in an age of favor to do this. And so we should be doing it. Resourcing it, funding it. Absolutely. While we have it, let's utilize it and utilize it to its fullest. But in light of what can be shaken and what can be taken away, let's prepare in this holy moment of invitation for a day to come when gathering will look different and hospitality will be different, and the altar that we've created in this space will be multiplied over homes and tables all across our city and state and nation. I tell you, if you're in this room, there's a day coming where you could very well have a church of your own in your home. Part of, I think, what we're seeing culturally in the assault... Of the nuclear family, the assault of the home is because the enemy knows the power that exists around the table. That if he can dismantle and confuse families, and those families sure as heck aren't going to open up and extend the borders of their family to those that aren't biologically related, and the whole thing falls apart. There is power around the table and glory in the home. So I know there are many of us in the room, those watching online who are already doing this, that are practicing radical, radically ordinary hospitality. I know, in fact, there are some who are moving from the... that have moved, actually, who are on staff um, into parts of town that most people wouldn't want to go, specifically to be neighbors to those in those homes. So I know hospitality, in many ways, is a value already in the house. Like I said, it's a value... Um, in prayer, but I want to expand it. And so my hope today is, if you're already practicing this, I hope that what I share only proves to strengthen your resolve to continue going. Just strengthens your radical welcome and refreshes your commitment to create sacred space in your home and to welcome any and all who are willing to come. But for those that aren't, um, already practicing that in some way, um, my hope is that I provoke you and instill the value for this, that um, you would leave today asking God, who should I invite, and how are we to gather? Um, I will start off by um, I'll start off by defining hospitality. Uh, Biblical hospitality is, the word in Greek is a compound word made up of two different Greek words put together. Uh, Philos, which is uh, brotherly love, friendship. It is love, platonic love, right? And xenos, which is stranger or foreigner. You put them together, and biblical hospitality is the love for a stranger, the love of a stranger. We all know strangers. We all are surrounded by strangers. They are the people who disagree with your political opinions. They are the people who cuss too much and still smoke cigarettes. They are the people who should shower more often and talk a little less. They are the people who grew up in a different cultural context or come from a different faith. They're a people with a different skin color that move into your neighborhoods and are starting to buy up all your real estate. They are the people that look different, think different, act different, and in some ways make us uncomfortable, afraid, and upset. These are the strangers. And yet, in a world that is seeking to discover new ways to subdivide and subdivide and make distinctions and call together its own little tribe of like-mindedness, in an age of xenophobia, same word, different, the fear of the stranger, the fear of the other, the demand, the church is to rise up in hospitality, in radical love, of the stranger, that we actually seek out those that disagree with us, that we seek out those that look differently from us, that those people that come to your mind, you know those people, those people, right? If there's a those people, they are the stranger. I once, I've been a stranger in a couple different contexts. Growing up in America as a middle-class white guy in suburban Dallas, there were very few instances growing up where I was the stranger, right? I was kind of the baseline average American guy. But as I've grown, there's been few moments where I've experienced um, being a stranger, and one of them was living um, in Jordan. The Lord sent me to the Middle East in 2004, I believe. Did not want to go. Oh, did not want to go. I wanted to go to South Africa. (laughs) That's not where I went. I went to Amman, Jordan, and I lived on the east side of Jordan, and uh, that was the Muslim side. The Western side was Christian and far more um, developed, safe, and comfortable. And so I was surrounded by Palestinian refugee camps and um, a people that I did not understand and quite honestly was afraid of um, at the time. The Iraqi prison scandal was happening as I was living there. If you remember, that's when American soldiers uh, were doing some pretty disgusting things to some prisoners of war. And, um, and so tensions were high. And I was a stranger, Right. Uh, I did not. I was different. And um, the very first day that we were there, uh, the host that we lived with, uh, the team that I was there with, um, said, okay, y'all are freaked out. You've been told a lot of stuff about what Muslim culture is like, what Muslim people are like, what the Middle East is like. And so we're going to acclimate by immersion. (laughs) And um, in Jordan, the taxis at the time at least ran more like bus systems. And they were on fixed tracks. And so we had to, we got a, a little note card. On the note card, uh, there was an Arabic name of a part of town, an Arabic name for a store in that part of town, and an Arabic name for an item that we had to purchase at that store. So we had to find, not speaking the language, the right taxi that would take us to the right part of town to find the right store to buy the right item. So talk about immersion. And in that experience, I was really scared. I was like, I don't know, 24 or something, I don't know. And I was was nervous. And what I found was as I got off out of the taxi at this market, I was bombarded, bombarded by invitations to come and have tea bombarded. Where from? Where from? Are you American? Ah, come, 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 come. (laughs) What? (laughs) Ah, you know. (laughs) Where are we going? (laughs) To my house. Come, come. I must, I, I must feed you. I must feed you. One, the very first woman, really, she was a wealthier woman. She was from Iraq. She um, left Iraq uh, because of everything that was going on there. And she had us over. And she was very, very honest with us about her opinions about the then president and politics. And may have said that she would come and put a bomb in some people's stomachs and blow them up. I mean, she was honest about her disapproval of what was happening in American politics at the time. But I remember her looking at us and saying something, and what she said really spoke volumes about the people, spoke volumes about her, and it revealed to me the nature of God, though she didn't know him. And what she said was, um, you know, American government, I do not like, but American people, you are good. Regardless, you are a guest in my country, and as a guest, I must make you feel welcome. And it was the beginning of a reworking of my mind of the beauty of hospitality and how wrongly I had based an opinion off of what the media shared and not what the reality was for people of a different faith. Um, I would define hospitality in my own words as um, the tangible, the felt tangible expression of the love of the Father and his radical welcome in Christ through sharing food, time, and friendship. That hospitality is the tangible expression of God's love that we've received, the radical welcome that we've received as enemies to God in Christ through sharing food. What's good is good, and food is good. Sharing time, sharing relationship. Um, much of my view on hospitality has been deeply shaped by a book by a woman named Rosaria Butterfield, and it's called The Gospel Comes with a House Key. And um, she, uh, it's, I'm gonna tell you a little bit more about her in a minute, but she describes, actually, I'm gonna do it now. Rosaria Butterfield, she um is a pastor's wife, uh, homeschool mom, foster mom. Um, and a practicer, her and her family, of daily radical hospitality where their house is open every single day for all of their neighbors, and they share meals, and it's really quite stunning. That is not always where Rosaria abided, though. Um, In a previous (laughs) lifetime, uh, Rosaria was a lit professor at Syracuse University. She specializes in women's studies uh, and critical theory, which we now our, you know, it's in the zeitgeist of our culture now um, and <clears throat> she was an out lesbian and gay activist she had written a scathing op-ed on promise keepers which you guys are mostly young so it was like this movement for Christian men in the 90s and she wrote this scathing criticism of the lunacy of the Christian right deception and how we were dismantling like progressive culture advancement you know And so, of course, she received both a lot of praise from certain camps and a lot of judgment from other camps for um, what she published, but one letter that she received stood out to her, and it was a letter from Ken and Floyd, Presbyterian pastors, and it was laced with kindness, um, though very clear uh, in its uh, opposition, and... Basically, Ken said, we would love to have you over for dinner to hear more about why you wrote what you wrote um, and share why we believe what we believe as well. And so at the time, Rosario was like, sweet, this is great because I'm working on uh, some sort of dissertation, again, where she was like dismantling um, the the Christian (laughs) um, lunacy, as she called it. And, uh, and so she thought this is perfect because these are going to be like unpaid research assistants. Like I'm going to get to the lava hot center of Christian crazy and meet with these pastors. I'm going to get so much juicy stuff out of it to critique. And um, so she went over to their home. She had a meal. They did not overtly share the gospel with her, but they did display it. And sh- her experience at that meal was both haunting, provoking, alluring, and really frustrating. But all she knew is that she had to come back again. And so week after week, day after day, she returned to have dinner with Ken and Floyd for two years. She met with Ken and Floyd. They began to read the Bible together. Of course, she was doing so at the beginning to critique and dismantle it and disprove it. But somehow, through the hospitality of Ken and Floy, through watching them interact, for hearing them pray as if they actually knew God, for wrestling with hard things and feeling like she was in an environment where they, she was free to be herself, though confronted with um, a different way of thinking. Um, after two years, she was convinced that Jesus was indeed who He said that He was, and two years of being discipled without knowing it through hospitality. She put her faith in Christ, uh, and now is a woman of God who's deeply blessing the body of Christ in what she writes. And so she wrote a book on hospitality, and she says this, radically ordinary hospitality. For those who live it see strangers as neighbors and neighbors as family of God. They recoil at reducing a person to a category or label, those people, Mm mm-mm. They see God's image reflected in the eyes of every human being on earth. They know that they too are like the meth addicts and sex trade workers. They take their own sin seriously, which includes the sin of selfishness and pride. They take God's holiness and goodness seriously. And the Bible to them is a lifeline with no exception. Those who live out radically ordinary hospitality see their homes not as their own at all, but as gifts from God to use for the furtherance of his kingdom. They open their doors, they seek the underprivileged, they know that the gospel comes with a house key when, um, if you don't know my story, in 2006, I, like, hightailed it out of church and became an uh, evangelical pagan. <laughs> and um, <laughs> ever met one of those? <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> And I can look back now, my life was radically altered and, and flipped upside down because of an encounter I had in 2012, a sovereign visitation of the Lord alone. It was holy, holy, holy. But I can look back now in retrospect and see the wooings of God even before that encounter happened. And in many ways, the wooing began through hospitality. See, I had left in 2006 um, and jumped right into a relationship with a man, absorbed a uh, homosexual identity and lived um, as a gay man for six years, and I was in a long-term relationship at the time with a man, and uh, I f- was freaked out by Christians. They just freaked me out, and... Um, and so I had uh, recently got back into contact with a friend that I had grown up with since elementary school that I had lost connection with. And uh, she was a Christian. We were in youth group together growing up. Um, she was super fun. And so when I saw her, she was like, oh, man, you've got to come hang out with me and my friends. Like, you would love them. They're so fun. They've, they've traveled a lot. They're just, it's, we get together once a week. You'd love it. And I was like, are they Christians? And she was like, yeah. I'm like, no, thank you. Um, (laughs) And so she kept kind of persisting, like, you got to come, you got to come. She knew I was really into, um, like, interior design and stuff. So finally she hooked me with, listen, this guy's loft is really cool. Just come and see the loft because I swear you're going to want to move here. And I was like, I'll see the loft. Um, (laughs) And so I um, am driving over downtown, driving to downtown to hang out with Christians, uh, and really just see the loft. And I was working in my mind my escape strategy. So I knew what was going to happen. I was going to walk in, immediately be met with like, hi, how are you? Oh, And I was going to feel like a project. And they were going to ask me pointed questions to pin me against the corner so they could share the gospel, and then eventually ask to pray for me. And before that happened, I needed to know how to get out of there. (laughs) And that's not what happened at all. I walk into this loft to the funnest, freest, most interesting conversations, laughter, joy. People ask me questions free of trying to figure me out. No one overtly was sharing the gospel. With me, but people were testifying to one couple who had just come back off the mission field and what they had seen Jesus doing and the acts of justice that were happening and the healings, which I was like, what? We drank herba mate because one of them had just gotten back from like Chile or something, and we talked about travels and culture, and I stayed for hours. And the longer I stayed, the more something in me was being stirred. There was a joy that I had missed. There was a freedom, a connectedness that looked different than the, you know, narcissism, honestly, that I was so surrounded by. There was this genuine interest in me as a person, not as a project. And... There was no way a compromise of where they, who they were and the God that they believed in, but it felt like I felt free from having to respond to it in any way. I just got to let them be them, and they allowed me to be me, and I got in the car after having a fantastic time. Really, it was so much fun. And I called the guy I was in a relationship with at the time, and I was like, you will not believe what just happened. I spent the last five hours hanging out with Christians, but they are so much fun. Like, they are so much fun. And he was like, really? I was like, yeah, really. Um, And I can look back at that origin as a, a starting place where something was getting stirred in me, where I was getting to glimpse into something that I had forsaken and walked away from, Something and someone I had forgotten in a way that felt like a gift and not like a battering ram. And I spent many times going back to that loft and then encountered the Lord about six months later and everything changed. Um, I want to dive into some scriptures um, in terms of hospitality. 1 Peter 4. <clears throat> Well, 1 Peter 4. uh, We'll start in verse 7. It says, The end of all things is at hand. Maranatha. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of prayer. We do that. But above all, (laughs) <laughs> above even that above all which means above all keep loving one another earnestly since love covers over a multitude of sins how show hospitality to one another and for those of you who are neat freaks and introverted it goes on to say without grumbling as each of you has received a gift, use it to serve one another. As good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks the oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything, God may be glorified through Christ. To him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Above all, keep Loving one another earnestly by showing hospitality. Hospitality is a container for the expression and multiplication of love. We don't just grow in love by waiting to grow in love. We grow in love by stepping into such situations that require us to extend it. Show hospitality. Romans 12. Is it? Yeah, 12. Show hospitality, mind you, is a, more than an invitation, it is a command. Romans 12. Goodness, if I can get there. Um, we'll start. We'll start in verse 1. I appeal to you, brothers, I beg you, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Don't be conformed to this world, to its lies about individualism. I said it this morning, I'll say it again. The deception of the American dream but it sure has a pretty house, but that white picket fence makes it look fancy, but it's sharp and pointy, and it keeps people out of it. But be transformed by the renewal of your mind, valuing what God values and protecting what he protects, so that you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but to think of yourself with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God's assigned. For as in one body, we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. Yay, diversity. You don't have to be me and I don't have to be you. That will kill comparison. If you have the gift of serving, serve. Prophecy, prophesy. Prophesy. Leading worship? Praise God, lead worship. None are better or worse. All glorify God. And all are needed. You are needed as you are. You're good enough. Praise God. And we are individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, to the one who teaches in his teaching, to the one who exhorts in his exhortation, to the one who contributes in generosity, to the one who leads with zeal, to the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness, let love be genuine. Abhor, hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo, uh, Aaron just quoted this, outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in hardship. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. And seek to show hospitality. I would present to you that hospitality is the container for everything from Romans 12 1 till that verse. That hospitality is the foundation, it is the seedbed, it is the container for you to step into being a living sacrifice. For you to step into positions of outdoing one another in honor. For you to step into places of acceptance in another's strength in your weakness and offering your strength to another's. Hospitality. That word, seek It it, it should say earnestly seek. Some translations do. It's the same Greek word that we see in 1 Corinthians 14.1. When it says pursue, seek love, and eagerly desire spiritual gifts. We love the spiritual gifts. We're eagerly desiring. We are earnestly desiring. We want to prophesy and step into power, and we want to see the otherly things of God. We want to step into giftings, but how much Are we eagerly pursuing hospitality? Same word, same intensity. That word, the definition, is to aggressively chase down. It is to aggressively look for every opportunity and then to freaking pounce on it. It is an aggressive chase of opportunity to show hospitality. That's a big deal. Acts 2 We see a move of the Spirit, unprecedented. The Spirit is poured out. The apostles are doing signs and wonders. And we see the church operating in unprecedented unity, power, purity. And I wouldn't say that the way the church functioned at that time is necessarily the sole reason why. But I would suggest that it was a preservation for the continuation of what was happening. And it says that they were devoted to the truth. They devoted themselves to the teaching of the apostles. They devoted themselves to the truth of the gospel. And they devoted themselves to the authority of men that God had placed in that authority. That's a big one. But it says daily they met together in the temple to pray. We do that morning, noon, and night. They daily met together in corporate expressions to pray, to worship. But they also met daily, breaking bread, sharing a meal one to another, sharing in unity and belongings, time and affection. I would propose to you that in the days ahead, we will look very similar Unprecedented unity, unprecedented power, unprecedented submission to the lordship of Jesus and the authority that he's placed in the earth. Gathering together, both in a corporate expression as long as we can, but in our homes as well. Okie dokie. So, hospitality does a lot. Uh, I want to break it into three different things. What... Seeking, earnestly seeking hospitality, stepping into places of hospitality, what it produces in the one who's hosting, um, what it produces in the world and for those receiving. And then I'm going to wrap up with what I think are the reasons why we don't do it <laughs> as much as we could. Um, <clears throat> there are gifts in hospitality, and the first one is that stepping into places of hospitality will sanctify you. (laughs) My wife and I are ever-growing in hospitality, and I want to tell you, outside of public leadership, I don't know what else sanctifies you more quickly and thoroughly than regular hospitality in a couple of ways. (laughs) It sanctifies your stewardship. How you utilize your resources are impacted by regular hospitality. It invites and, in fact, kind of forces you to live below your means. Why? So that you have something good to offer those that are gathering. You know, if you're making minimum wage and you're dropping 250 bucks on some Nikes, you can't really provide a meal for people in your home because you can barely pay your rent, you know? It forces you to live differently, to spend differently. It sanctifies your approach to your time because you realize that that song we sang it all belongs to you is actually true and that your schedule though healthy healthy boundaries isn't yours to dictate that it simplifies your approach to time you have to put in margin time you have to be willing to be patient when someone's in need and they're taking up too much of it and it's 10:30 and they're still crying on your couch but you got to get up early that's happened and you're like when are they going to leave And God's like, love is patient. I'm like, I know, (laughs) but tell them to go. (laughs) It informs your commitments. It sanctifies your commitments. You start to live outside of the demands of your own worldview and schedule. You start to become accountable one to another. That you start, listen, I've said it before. Man, my life has been so radically shaped by encounters with the Lord so radically shaped. But I want to tell you who I am standing before you today is not just a reflection of the encounters I've had, but in many ways, even more so at times, are the reflection of those encounters being outworked through processing my heart and my frustration sitting at the kitchen bar at these two people's houses over a bag of chips and a bowl of salsa. Wrestling with the truth and wrestling with my own soul in a place where hospitality was free and I wasn't being clamped down on, but I wasn't being invited to see more than I could see on my own. I'm a product, and you are too. It sanctifies our stewardship. Hospitality refines our character. (laughs) Oh, man, hospitality is like a mirror. I want to tell you a story. We have people in our home a lot, and um, there's a friend of ours that comes over uh, about once a week, and um, we share a meal, and we just talk about life, and, you know, it's, it's lovely. And this evening in particular, I don't even remember what it was, but my wife and I, as we sat with our friend uh, in the living room, um, found ourselves in a marital dispute, <laughs> We disagreed on something. And if you can't tell, I can be a firm communicator. And so (laughs) um, we we weren't going at it in an unhealthy way. But I mean, we were disagreeing passionately. And you ever have those moments when you're in that mode with someone, and then all of a sudden you go, oh, man, someone else is here. I forgot. (laughs) It was like that moment. And I thought, oh, man, I was kind of embarrassed. I was actually, I wasn't kind of. I was embarrassed. I, I saw my poor communication, the intensity of it. And I felt this need to cover it, right? Don't, don't see that. Oh, gosh. That wasn't the best reflection of my leadership. Oh, no. You know? But I'm a human. And that's real. And so we recovered. And it was fine. And, and he left. And um, I had, like, vulnerability backlash And I was just like, oh, God. Like, I need to be a better communicator. I'm not patient. Why did you let them see that? You know, it was like one of those things. And I got a text from the person. And um, I said, hey, I just want to let you know, hey, thank you. Um, It was really, really good for me to witness what I witnessed tonight. To see you and your wife disagree passionately and yet love was present. You both covered one another, and you didn't insist on your own way. That was not modeled for me growing up. I needed to see that that's possible. And I just thought, oh, God. That though though refining, though vulnerable, though exposing in hospitality, that even our weaknesses become the seedbeds for transformation and change. See, God doesn't just use the best parts of you. He uses all of you, every part of your story. Here's here's the scandal. God's just not the author and creator of your strengths. He's the author and creator of your limitations. Why? Because even your limitations serve the purposes that were in his heart for you. I am introverted. That is a limitation, right? I am not super-duper muscular. That is a limitation, you know, um, And so even your limitations are on purpose. That should free some of you. Um, it refines your boundaries. Hospitality refines your boundaries. It helps you be a better, stronger communicator in terms of stating expectations and knowing what boundaries are healthy and being the priest in your home and creating an environment that is healthy and stewards life. But at the same time, it also sanctifies and refines your boundaries to realize that they need to be extended far more than I think any of us naturally want them to be. We enclose ourselves. We isolate ourselves. We protect ourselves. But the gospel liberates us into being wholeheartedly given, just like Jesus was, for us to embody him as we pick up our cross and realize, oh man, this is not what I received from him. So, how could I do this to you? It's incredibly inconvenient and wildly costly, but in its inconvenience and cost, it is the source of the sanctification. In its inconvenience and cost, love is multiplied in us. Hosting, hospitality, practicing it, it strengthens our faith in Jesus because you realize you can't control people. You can't make them behave. You can't change them, but Jesus can. And that your job is to create the space and steward the moment and the grace available and watch Jesus do what only He can do. Can you imagine Ken and Floyd for two years having an angry lesbian in their house? (laughs) Can you imagine? And to daily extend love and patience and wrestling with her questions and, and loving her freely. The cost, but the beauty... It strengthens your position in the body as it helps you utilize and discover your gifts, the way that you're made to love and express the love of God to other people. It gives you outlets um, to be who God designed you to be in the lives of people in a way that deeply satisfies your soul and fills you with joy. It strengthens your relationships, your friendships. Bonds of love go deep over time around a table. You start to realize you're receiving far more than you're giving, and your family takes on far more than just those who are biologically related to you. That's so beautiful. You know, I think we talk about the highway byway revival, the great harvest that's coming, that's being prophesied, that there's a harvest coming, that there's an outpouring coming. There is a wave of the Spirit coming. There's a wave coming. I tell you, there is a wave coming. And people will be swept up suddenly in the wave of the Spirit that is coming. But when they come, they are going to come from a hot mess express of hunger and desperation to touch the hem of his robe. They will not know the lingo or the language. They will not be cleaned up. They will not smell good. They won't behave and they will cuss too much. They will have hang-ups and issues and their souls will still have baggage from life before, but all they will know is that the one that they've seen, they must then touch. And when they come, will we be ready to receive them? Will we have context for them? them to get grafted into family to not be controlled and dictated into the right way to live within Christian subculture but to be invited into a transforming grace that changes them day by day from the inside that they would receive in us the same love and welcome that they saw a glimpse of in Jesus we can't just talk about a highway byway revival and get real amped up in a prayer service about a great harvest and not step into hospitality now. We're not going to suddenly just do it when they start coming. (laughs) We get to do it now. And I dare say that maybe us stepping into this more, the body truly stepping into the fullness of being the body, is actually part of what births the harvest in the first place. Because everyone longs to belong. In Acts 2, it says that the way the church lived made everyone respect them, but freaked everybody out. (laughs) And we get to do the same. We get to be different. Okay, hospitality reveals several things to the world. First, hospitality is evangelistic. Hospitality is evangelism. You know, we think of declaring and demonstrating the gospel in terms of preaching the gospel, praying for the sick on the streets, and that is awesome. We should be doing that. That is fantastic. But hospitality is also a declaration and demonstration of the gospel, it is an embodiment of the gospel. It is evangelistic, it embodies in tangible ways the welcome of God. It's prophetic. See, every time you gather around a table with other believers and even non believers, you are testifying to an age that's coming, to the wedding feast of the Lamb. The, the glimmers of joy, acceptance, love that are celebrated around a table are glimpses of a moment that's coming. They testify. When you and I gather around the table, sharing life together, enjoying the fruits of God together, making much of him and looking and honoring one another, we are testifying to the prince of the power of the air and the spirit of the age now that there's an end by date coming, that death doesn't win, that sorrow isn't the final say, that there's an age that's coming when what we're tasting in part will be at the whole. It'll be the whole thing. It is prophetic. You are declaring in your feasting that all of human history is culminating in the wedding feast of the lamb. It is holy, holy, holy. It is not just something that must be done. Here's a weird thought. You know, as the decline, we don't see that here. We have like a big long line. We're the weird ones. The church is declining in this country. Church attendance is declining. That's just the truth. Isn't isn't it interesting that in the decline of church, there's this like explosion of brunch culture? (laughs) I love a brunch. It's part of one of the sacrifices that I have to make. I love a Sunday brunch. Could it be though, looking a little deeper into that thing, could it be that it's not so much about pancakes and mimosas? But that brunch culture is a reflection that in the very core of who we are, we know we are made to gather and on the Lord's day of all days to gather over bread and wine. I don't know. Just saying. You'll never think of brunch the same way. It reveals to the world that there's an age coming. It's, it's an act of justice where the poor are fed, where the lonely are placed in family. It is, a, it is an act of justice. It is a means for the ministry of re- reconciliation that all of us are partakers in. So if hospitality produces all these great things in us, it reveals all these things to the world. I'm wrapping up. I know it's after seven. <clears throat> Why don't we step into it more? If it's a container, and incubator of love, wouldn't we all want that? Yes, of course we do. What hinders it, though? And if it is about love, then, of course, the war against love is waged in fear. And I think there's fear when it comes to hospitality in specifically two ways. I think, one, there's fear of the cost. There's fear of what it will require of us. That when we open our door, we can't necessarily control who walks through it. (laughs) Gosh. That it might... Require something of us that we don't really want to give, a level of patience and grace that is costly and uncomfortable. I think there's fear to the cost. And I'm not going to lie to you, it is costly. There are days when I'm like, Lord, help me. I really just want to binge on TV tonight. I really do. I just want to watch something silly. Give me grace. You commanded it so the grace exists for it. I participate, I say, yes, fill me with love because I don't got any, <laughs> you know? It is costly, but it is so worth it. It is so worth it. But I think also there's fear in being seen. If, if we have sin habits and struggles that are secretive, you sure as heck aren't gonna practice hospitality because you can't control when eventually someone's going to see that thing. And I think sometimes we resist opening up our doors and our hearts because we don't want people to know what's really going on there in us. And I think that's an invitation to address some things that we can't, we can't just sing, you get it all, it all belongs to you, and not step progressively into that being the reality of how we live There's more for us. There's just so much more. And I think in so many ways, we're all longing to access and to touch, to see things that we've heard and read in stories, to experience the more of the kingdom. We're wanting this. We're hungry for it. But sometimes we we continually blow past the very opportunities that exist to begin to cultivate and receive it. And I think hospitality um, is one of those things. And so again, I want to say, if you are practicing this, um, who we were singing that you opened the door. <laughs> he did open the door, and it remains open. Behold, a door standing open in heaven. Yay. Let us do the same. If you live this way, if you are gathering people around your table, sacrificially loving and serving, feeding and blessing people, praise God, I honor you. I thank you. You look like Jesus. And all I want to say is keep on keeping on. Keep on doing it. It's costly. It's hard. But it is so worth it. And every time you meet, you're accessing heaven. And you're reflecting the Father. Well done. It's pleasing to God. And it's changing things. Well done. If you're not, then I invite you to leave this service wrestling with the command to show hospitality and to ask God simply, who am I to invite and welcome? And how am I to do that? He knows you. He knows your limitations. He knows what your life looks like. He knows what's going on. But the command is not just for established, wealthy retirees. (laughs) It's not just for, you know, Whatever It is for the single in a dorm room. It is for married couples with little babies under the age of five. It is for all. It may look a little different, but the call to hospitality is a command for all that are in Christ. And I want to invite you to wrestle with that and to step into it in a way that you're uniquely designed to be. Not because it's a burden that's being placed upon you, but it is an opportunity for you to receive and step into things that maybe you haven't accessed before. Uh, So if you would stand with me, I want to pray just for grace to be released. I hope this has not been too heavy. I just really believe um, that this is what God is doing and emphasizing in this hour, that it's all connected, that it's all part of how he's preparing his bride to shine in the days ahead. I just really feel it so strongly. And so if you are comfortable, if you'd open up your hands just in a posture of receiving, I want to pray for grace as we wrestle with this and its implications together. And I, yeah, we need him to reflect him. So Father, we acknowledge that we have all received grace upon grace. Father, we thank you that each one of us in this room and watching who are in Christ have heard your invitation to come. We thank you that you welcomed us when we rejected you, when we hated you, when we were messy and messed up and hostile and argumentative. Lord, when we didn't look like you and we didn't even want to, (laughs) and still you extended the hand of friendship to us, that you not only gave us access to your house, but access to your heart. Father, thank you. Thank you that you've made us your family, that you've placed us in your beloved. Thank you that you call us by name and that you've made us your children. Lord, thank you. And in light of these mercies that we've received, Father, would you release grace to each one of us to wrestle and to apply. Lord, that we would step into a grace of embodying the welcome we've received in the ways that you're calling us to in this season. Lord, I pray for a radical grace for radically ordinary hospitality. Lord, that there would be a multiplication of love in our midst, that our homes would become holy habitations, that our tables would become altars. Lord, that you would place the lonely in families because the families are willing to receive them. Lord, would you help us get over ourselves? Would you deliver us from selfishness and self-absorbment. Lord, would you deliver us out of self-protection and isolation and deliver us and liberate us into the fullness of belonging completely in the body of Christ? That we would step into the fullness of the expression that we're meant to occupy as your children. Lord that for the singles, the marrieds, the widowers, the retirees, Lord that we would all hear the invitation and say yes to yielding to the command. Lord help us. We know that you desire to pour yourself out on us. We know that there is a wave coming. There is a wave coming. Lord make us ready. Make us ready to receive you and to receive them. We recognize the holiness of this moment. Prepare us, Lord, so we might steward that which you care most about, your people, especially the ones that don't know they belong to you yet. May love abound in us, among us, and through us in Jesus' name. All right. Um, We have... A ministry team. Oh, thank you. (laughs) We have a ministry team. Uh, I guess if you guys, if ministry team wants to line up on the sides.